Welcome to Pediagogy. I'm Tammy. And I'm Lydia. And we're UC Davis Children's Hospital trained pediatricians in Sacramento. This podcast reviews common conditions in children to enhance our knowledge and the knowledge of other residents, medical students, and any other interested learners. With that, let's delve right into this episode. You have a baby in the NICU who has jaundice and a rash. You notice significant jaundice and blue-purple spots all over the body that are non-blanching. The head is also quite small. Labs show direct hyperbilirubinemia. You get a head ultrasound that shows intracranial calcifications, particularly around the ventricles. So continuing with our series of torch infections, we have another case of blueberry muffin rash in a baby with other abnormal findings. All this together, though, it sounds like CMV. The things that stand out particularly and tell me it's CMV are the direct hyperbilirubinemia, the microcephaly, and the periventricular intracranial calcifications, which are pretty pathognomonic for congenital CMV. Yeah, exactly. So microcephaly and periventricular calcifications are the big buzzwords in this case for congenital CMV. CMV is actually the leading infectious and non-genetic cause of sensory neural hearing loss in the U.S. So at UC Davis, actually, our policy is to routinely test for urine CMV in our newborns who fail the hearing screen just because of how common of a cause it is for hearing loss. It's estimated to account for about 20% of all hearing loss at birth, actually. And it's the most common sequelae of congenital CMV. Interestingly, you can also get hearing loss from congenital CMV that actually presents later on in life or becomes progressive. So something to kind of keep an eye out for your older kiddos as well. Yeah. So transmission occurs with bodily secretions, including saliva, urine, blood, and genital secretions. It's actually considered an STI given the fact that it can be transmitted through sex. And once you're infected, it often will persist in your white blood cells. So you can get intermittent shedding and reactivation of the disease, kind of like herpes or chickenpox. Yeah, it's actually really interesting and something I didn't realize, um, but something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so CMV is seen in about five per a thousand live births in the U.S., so it is pretty common. It's actually the most common congenital viral infection. So congenital CMV can occur due to infection at pretty much any time during pregnancy, but the highest risk of infection is in the first trimester. This can occur with both primary and non-primary infections because remember that your body can carry CMV pretty Pretty much forever once you're infected. However, we probably miss a lot of congenital CMV just because most are asymptomatic at birth. Wow, five per 1,000 live births is super common. I didn't realize that. Yeah, for sure. What are the presenting findings of congenital CMV that I should be looking out for? Yeah, we talked about some of them. Um, so things like microcephaly and intracranial calcifications. The calcifications tend to be periventricular as opposed to toxoplasma, which is more scattered and interparenchymal. So if you looked at a head ultrasound, those are the things to look at. Babies can also have that blueberry muffin rash and hepatosplenomegaly, like we noted before, for congenital rubella and for toxo. Other common findings are significant jaundice with a direct hyperbilirubinemia. And this is opposed to the indirect hyperbilirubinemia that we see more commonly with benign newborn breastfeeding or breast milk jaundice. Other things are thrombocytopenia, retinitis, developmental delay, and hearing loss. Yeah, so the way I like to remember that CMV has the periventricular calcifications, and I think a lot of people use this as like the C in CMV is like circumventing, so like going around <laughs> nice. the ventricles. Yeah. Um, 
diagnosis is with CMV PCR from body fluid, but this can be difficult to interpret because you don't actually know whether or not this is due to a current or a past infection. You can also check viral cultures or antibody titers. Or if this is the newborn and you still have your amniotic fluid, you can test for CMV DNA. You can also get CMV DNA from body fluids within three weeks of life. After that, it's tricky to interpret whether this is due to congenital infection or postnatal infection. So, Lydia, what do we do after we determine we have a kiddo with congenital CMV? Yeah, so in this case, we can treat with antivirals. So for patients with moderate or severe symptomatic congenital CMV, whether or not they have CNS involvement, the treatment is with oral valgencyclovir for six months. Now, keep in mind that this doesn't actually eliminate the disease. Kind of remember what we talked about is that once you're infected, you pretty much carry CMV with you essentially forever. But the treatment has been shown to improve at least the auditory and neurodevelopmental sequelae of the infection. If there's concerns for absorption, like if they have short gut syndrome or if they have neck or necrotizing enterocolitis, you can start with IV encyclovir and then transition later on to oral. And remember the big thing to watch out for when you're treating with these antivirals is myelosuppression, particularly in the beginning of treatment. You should be checking an ANC weekly for the first six weeks while starting therapy and then at eight weeks and then monthly that um, after that for the duration of the entire treatment. You also want to be checking your ALT monthly to look for hepatotoxicity. Yeah, great point. If the ANC drops below 500, you should consider holding treatment until the ANC climbs back up to at least 750, or alternatively, you could consider treatment of the neutropenia with GCSF or granulocyte colony stimulating factor. Again, like with congenital rubella, immunoglobulin is not routinely recommended to prevent infection or vertical transmission in pregnant women, as this hasn't really been shown consistently to prevent disease in the babies. In the outpatient side of things, patients with congenital CMV should get early hearing screening starting at four months and at every well child after that up until they're 30 months old. This is in addition to the routine hearing screening that we'll do starting at four years of age for all kids. Remember that patients with congenital CMV can get late onset or progressive hearing loss like Lydia had mentioned, which is why you want to keep screening really frequently in the beginning. Yeah, something definitely good to keep in mind on the outpatient side of things for sure. So to summarize, congenital CMV is the most common congenital viral infection and most common non-genetic cause of sensory neural hearing loss in the U.S. Findings include blueberry muffin rash, microcephaly, periventricular calcifications, and indirect hyperbilirubinemia. Diagnosis is with PCR titers, and treatment is meant to improve neurodevelopmental outcomes with oral vancomycin. That's all for this episode. You can find additional information in the podcast description and our social media resources. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at PediagogyPod. That's P-E-D-I-A-G-O-G-Y-P-O-D. Special thanks to Orlando Magana at OM Audio Productions for music composition and Dr. Su Ting Lee and Dr. Lena Vanderlis for mentorship.